Vin Diesel called that moment, quote, the greatest moment in cinematic history, because he said that that was the first time ever that men around the world could cry together. Welcome to We Can't Print This, a podcast telling the story you don't know behind the story you do. Don't you shake your head at me. I'm Fiona McCann. I'm Eden Don. And every week we interview a writer of some kind or another about the stories behind their stories. And if you like our podcast, please send it to a friend who you think might also like it or support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com forward slash we can't print this. And this week, we are excited to have our former co-worker and old friend, Tuck Woodstock. Tuck hosts the award-winning podcast, Gender Reveal, which is very good if you have not listened to it. It's very good. Which is focused on the diversity of trans experiences and has been featured as a gender educator by NPR and the Washington Post, as well as at lots of fancy colleges and universities. Um, And very importantly, he has an adorable cat named Rhubarb. Yeah, shout out to Rhubarb. Shout out to Rhubarb. And even more importantly, or not more importantly than Rhubarb, sorry, Rhubarb, but equivalent. Deepest apologies, Rhubarb. (laughs) Deepest apologies. Oh no, I'm going to be cancelled by the cats. Tuck has produced an interesting work that's based on another text. And I think it got us thinking because basically Tuck made art from something that may not be considered particularly highbrow. A sort of lowbrow movie franchise, wouldn't you say? Uh, that's how it might be described in public. A a long movie franchise about a lot of men racing cars around, which maybe has not won Oscars. Maybe it has not won Oscars, but it has won fans and now it has won and it has won fan fiction Mm -hmm. and Tuck has produced a work related to it. And it got us thinking about some of the writing in the same realm, TV or movies where it might not be considered the highest brow or the best or the most intellectual writing of all time, but we kind of like it. But we kind of like it. What's What do you got? What's your thing you kind of like? I'm going to fall on the sword for Grey's Anatomy. Oh. Yeah, I am. Hospital dramas, for starters, are, you know, I'm a sucker for them. I It's like, I feel like St. Elsewhere was my gateway drug. Then I moved on to ER, which is probably the greatest of all time, but... Got sidetracked recently by Grey's Anatomy, which in some ways is trasher than the other ones. Is it? I've never seen it. I, I, as you know, my mom was an ER nurse my whole life. So I feel like I move away from hospital dramas due to her critiquing the authenticity of them in front of me. You mean it's not authentic that all that ever happens in the hospital is people have sex with each other? Because that's what Grey's Anatomy is all about. I've spent a lot of time in hospitals in my life because of visiting her growing up. And I never saw anybody having sex at any hospital ever. I know. And it's hard to credit a hospital making you horny. But this is what happens I in can. Grey's Anatomy. The and fo- it's supposed to be a Seattle hospital, right? Yes. Yeah, so a horny Pacific Northwest hospital. <laughs> I know. Well, the whole premise is, and it does have, I'm going to argue it has some really great character development and some great characters in it, but mainly it's super hot young people trying to cure people of terrible medical disasters while constantly trying to deny or act on their magnetic animal attraction to each other. Wow. Okay. It is hot. Everybody's always riding each other. And it's been on since like 2001, I feel like. Yeah, that's the great thing about it and also the danger for me is that there are so many episodes out there that I can binge watch it 
to my own detriment. Like the times it'll be four o'clock in the morning and my poor husband will be like, oh my God, you're still watching Grey's Anatomy go to sleep. But I can't stop. Can't stop. Can't mm-hmm. stop. What about you, Eden? Uh, my secret shame of a thing that I think the writing is not uh, highbrow, but I love is a thing called Jersey Shore Family Vacation. <laughs> Sounds real highbrow to me. Sounds oh very God. highbrow. Okay, do you know what Jersey Shore is? I, uh, you, you're looking at me because you know I don't. Because okay. I'm immediately, okay. I have heard of it though, and I'll tell you how I've heard of it in a minute. But go on. Okay, so around like 2010, there was a reality show that came out with these like six or seven people that were put into a house at the Jersey Shore where they were self-described like guidos and guidettes and all they do is GTL which is gym tan laundry and they basically drink oh a lot God. and go out dancing and that's not the part that I love the most so that that was the thing and then they got really famous and they're like named like Snooky and Polly D and oh my God but now it's like 15 years later or something and they're all grown up and they're married and they have kids and they still get together and have family vacations. All of now, these who were originally in the... All of these originally in it and everyone has had these long developments and one person went to jail for tax evasion, but now he's sober and like this inspirational speaker and people are always working through their troubles and have been there for each other and divorces and clearly reality show is scripted and there are writing to it. And there's something about, I don't, I have the least amount in common with these people of maybe anyone I've ever met. And yet I just have a weird affinity for them that makes me, I, I care. I want them to have nice lives. I don't know. You're actually really convincing. You might make me watch it now and then I'll you get no sleep not, at all. No, I don't. <laughs> I'll show well, you a clip later. Here is why I've actually heard of it because I th- I'm pretty sure somebody once said to me, uh, look at you getting all Jersey Shore. And am I to infer that was not a compliment? I, <laughs> I can't picture somebody saying that to you. What were you doing at the time? I can't remember, but I remember that. Hit were you drinking like, and dancing? That's a possibility. Yeah, I think. Okay. In that case, I see. They were just saying you were you were going for it. You were hitting meatball status. I might have been hitting meatball status. Okay, fair. Because I didn't know if I had to go back and have but, it out with them. No, but they're, you know, I don't know what it is. I do often kind of like weird lowbrow things that I just can't get over. And then you know that I'll watch any treasure hunt related thing. True. Like National Treasure, Searching for the Declaration of Independence. Any movie where somebody is searching for treasure, I'm like, I'm in. Even if it makes zero sense. <laughs> Even if there's like 9 million explosions for no reason. And I'm like, well, we got to find the treasure. I'm just in. So my question is, if something is, some might argue, not an amazing piece of writing, but people love it, is it still bad writing? Or is it actually good writing because it gets a lot of people to love it? I mean, define good and bad. That's the problem. Exactly. Because in one way, I'm like, yeah, it's like, this is really good cocaine. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> You're feeling me on that? Anyway, with with having just dropped that, I think, let's hear from Talk. Great. Okay. Great. Circle back because I have been dying to know the story of this Too Fast, Too Furious. Because what I was saying before I so rudely got internet glitched is I have never seen these movies, but what I know of them is to be like hot men in little cars kind of battling with each other. Is that? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) No, it's something that happened accidentally 
when I decided to make a project about the Fast and the Furious is I accidentally led a bunch of my friends into watching them for the first time, which is not my intent. You don't have to see them. They're not good films. And I can't stress enough uh, that <laughs> one, it's not important that you've seen the movies in order to read this book. And two, it's not important that you see these movies, period, in your life. Uh, but yeah, so around February 2023, uh, there was a lot of marketing happening for Fast 10, which we were led to believe was maybe the last film in the series, which would make sense because 10 is a round number. Turns out, no, they're going for 11. Oh, my what? God. <laughs> How were there 11 plots of men chasing each other in little cars and like going pew pew at each other? I can't wait to tell you. Okay. Uh, but... I saw a lot of really smart people watching them for the first time and writing about them because of this, as well as people who have loved the franchise for a long time, writing about it anew. And so I saw like Gretchen Felker Martin writing about it, who's an incredible film critic who also wrote Manhunt. Uh, my good friend Nico Stratus was writing about it. My friend Lilith was writing about it. And I was like, someone needs to collect all of these writings by trans people discovering the Fast and Furious franchise into one convenient zine-sized object and who could that person be who, who could, could that person be and I was on a small break between seasons of my podcast and I love to be constantly doing way too much work yeah we know uh, and, then, <laughs> and then the other part of this story that's important is that literally the day before I had ended a book proposal in progress with a big five publisher because I didn't feel like doing it. And so I had just told my <laughs> and I agent. just pause for a second because that's kind of inspirational. I bow down that you yeah. were like, I don't feel like it. Yeah, that's really weird. Amazing. That. I had been working on the proposal for a while and I was like, you know what? No. I so I had to have this conversation with my agent. I was like, I'm so sorry for wasting like so much of your time, but I actually really don't want to do this. And here's the reasons why it doesn't make sense right now. And then literally the very next day, I put out this call for submissions for this uh, all trans fast and furious anthology. And I saw her like my tweet about it. And I sent her a long email and I was like, I'm so sorry, but here's 10 reasons why it actually makes sense for me to be doing this project and not that project. And she was like, you're being so weird. Please be normal. And you don't need to send me a list of 10, <laughs> 10 reasons why. And I'm like, but I actually thought it was a good creative exercise for me to be able to identify all the reasons why this project will be beneficial for me. Uh, so anyway, she's very, very nice about it. Uh, but yeah, uh, some of those reasons is that I wanted to do a project that didn't really have any stakes. I wanted yeah. to do a project that I was in full control over and I didn't have a bunch of editors. I mean, I love editors, but editors who are like not in the community that I was writing about mm -hmm. uh, or editing about uh, kind of popping in uh, because we all know the feeling of someone coming into your story where you know a lot about that topic and someone who doesn't know anything kind of coming in and like inserting weird errors you know yeah uh and so I'm yeah like, don't do that editors yeah. please don't, don't do that editors it's None bad um and then I also just wanted to get something out really quickly and I feel this actually now more than ever because I have a lot of friends who wrote real books with real publishers and it 
is for some reason taking even longer than usual to get the books out. So they'll finish the book and then like three years later, it'll finally come out. And when you're doing any kind of cultural commentary, it's like you can't wait three years to have your book come out, right? Like it's- It's not going to stand. Exactly. So I was really worried about that and about things being out of date by the time it actually got out. And I was also worried about whatever I was doing would be about queer and trans people and just like it getting attention from sort of the wrong- crowds I guess yeah yeah uh and so I was like well what I really want to do is make a little shit post of a book and I want it to be an anthology because I don't want to have to come up with a bunch of words on my own I want other people to come up with the words so I was trying to create like a formal version of that and then I just let it go and was like actually I'm going to do the ultimate shit post which is I just asked trans people to write things about the Fast and Furious franchise and the reason that I chose that is obviously because it was showing up a lot in conversation but also because there are so many movies they really are such a rich text because you have so much to <laughs> refer to. They also get longer and longer and longer as you go along. I did. I did. No one's sorts. ever referred to them as a rich text before in my presence. <laughs> I mean, They're a rich text. There's a couple of amazing things that happen. A, the rich text. B, you just gave the most succinct definition of an anthology I've ever heard. And the most <laughs> honest one. It's like I wanted to put something together, but I didn't really want to write it. Intro my smart friends and we'll I mean, put their words together. We have all in the Zoom chat been magazine editors. And what feels mm-hmm. better than having an idea and assigning it to someone else and going, Ugh. what if you wrote that? Brilliant. You know, incredible yeah. feeling. Love us. Uh, Love us. So I put out this call for pitches and I think we got 60-ish and we ended up narrowing it down to 40-ish, maybe a little under. So there was a curation process that happened. We didn't just take any old thing off the street. Uh, The range of what was submitted for our trans fast and furious anthology was this beautiful array you can see in the book we have uh very serious uh nonfiction essays we have very silly nonfiction essays we have you know sort of erotic fan fiction <laughs> we have um a bingo card we have a fast and furious name generator we have a lot of poetry that also reigns from like silly haiku poetry to like actually very good poetry uh, we have, you know, zine style collage art. Anyone who sent me like a classic zine page, I did put in. And we have yeah, illustrations. We have all sorts of stuff. We also got more than one set of photos of like sculptures or needlepoint or other like physical art that we what? didn't really include just because of the nature of what a book is. It was hard to include like studio art, yeah. uh, but I did appreciate it being sent to us and yeah I ask a question about the content please what do you feel the ratio was of people submitting things and and this is just your gut reaction of people who had seen the films and were doing their best to and then people who are like me who are like I feel like it's bald men with biceps driving and I'm gonna create a piece based on that feeling I'm going to say it was like 80, 20, 90, 10, something. We definitely have submissions in the book by people who haven't watched the movies. And we also got submissions that were not in the book of people being like, I haven't watched the movies, but here's my little artistic rendition of it. Some of them work, some of them didn't, you know? Uh, My favorite 
piece by someone who hasn't watched the movies is a haiku. And the haiku is, I came fast, too fast. Oh no, daddy's not pleased. Oh, he's furious. Um, Absolute applause for that. You don't have to see the movies to write that. Um, I think it's called like My Daddy the Rock is maybe the title of it. Um, so that's genius. That's genius. Yeah. Pulitzer. And then Pulitzer. of of the essays, like some of them are very about like a specific character in one of the films, and other of them are really just about people's lives. And then Fast and Furious is kind of in there, and that's what I wanted. Like I didn't need it to be like all the same thing. So I was editing it with an eye towards people who had never watched any of the films. Like I'm not a big fast and furious head and so i was editing and then kind of learning as i went along like oh that's what happened in that one you know? <laughs> but um i tried to fact check any direct claims so they sh- everything should all be accurate but it was definitely edited with the thought of like you don't need to have seen these films to have a good time with the book you just need to kind of have a basic understand like eden level understanding of the whole energy and if you get kind of the vibe which is sort of hilarious levels of hyper masculinity and also this like ostensible focus on family uh, and also cars room for room uh you know like you can really get through the whole thing although I did realize um you know when I was trying to think so hard of like what can this offer people who haven't seen Fast and Furious I never ever thought like what can this offer someone who isn't gay and then straight people bought it and I was like yeah totally well, let me know what you, think. <laughs> you know like I'm sure there's stuff in there for you I don't know which ones but I'm sure you can have a good time too we can all um, relate to the daddy haiku no totally yeah, the haiku <laughs> we all um, get there yeah, so I I just think there's like a lot of really funny things in there in in the films to think about and that doesn't mean that I ever really want to watch the movies again. It just means that it's fun to think about that they exist. So for example, when you're asking like how can there be so many plots? Um the plots don't really like make sense, quote unquote. They're more <laughs> just like a mood board upon which cars can be raced. Yeah. Uh but they do do some interesting sort of escalations to sort of challenge themselves. So like in, I want to say the sixth (laughs) movie, they like drive their cars onto a plane, but then they drive off the plane before the plane can fully take off. So then they escalate Ah. that by in the seventh movie, they drive their cars into a plane, the plane takes off and then they parachute out of the, the plane but instead of being like human beings wearing a parachute, their cars have parachutes (laughs) and the cars parachute down. And then in the ninth movie, they go to outer space in a car. Nope. No. Which is far. No, which what I love about that is they're going to 11. Like they've gone mm-hmm. to outer space, but we're still going to 11. I mean, I've never wanted to be in a writer's room more. And I know nothing about cars. I can't tell one from the other. Do you I think- would- go ahead. Please. I was just going to say, having never seen any of the Vroom Vroom movies, and I'm trying to think of when you said mood board for which cars to drive on, I wanted to see if I could take a guess at any of the plot points that might exist just based on my ideas. Please. One thought is, did they, is there a heisty one where they're stealing something and driving away? That's got it. Okay. Fast five, they drive a big, they drive a big bank vault through Rio and the bank vault kind of swings around and like crushes things as they vroom vroom away. So that's, you nailed it. Okay, great. And one is like, 
somebody is like kidnapped? Is there one is like yes, something where you have absolutely. to save absolutely. someone? That's a reason yes. to have a high You're speed so chase. I know. You're thank so you. I, I literally have never seen one ever. And I was trying to think, and is there one where there's just like racing culture where it's just like kind of like big dick energy, like I race faster than you, sort of like grease when they're racing for pink slips, but more muscles. Eden, I'm so glad you asked because I just emphasize that in the later movies, they go to space, but it's escalating all the way from the first movie in which they really are just racing. And part of the plot is that they're stealing combination DVD VCR players, which is huge and really dates where we're at in time. (laughs) Um, But another big part of the plot is they go uh, to the desert to participate in something called race wars. Oh, my. Wow. Immediately regret that. Yeah. So yeah, wow. the first movie is about VCRs and race wars. And I would say of the first it is. three yeah. to four films are about actually racing. Um, I don't ever I can never remember what happens in the fourth one. It falls out of my brain every time. But at least the first like three are about largely just racing. And then definitely by five we start doing heists and then it just escalates from there. Uh and so something else that's really fascinating is that in the first few films there is a concept of mortality and then it goes away. (laughs) They do uh, away with that. (laughs) They start doing things that it's like, clearly no one could survive that. So for example, uh, (laughs) in I think the seventh one after they're parachuting their cars out of a plane, um, Vin Diesel gets in a scrape where he gets surrounded by the bad guys in his car on the edge of a cliff and you go, how's he going to get out of this one? And he gets out of it by just driving down the cliff, getting in a huge car accident, roll, 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 roll. And then when he gets to the bottom of the cliff, just kind of getting out and walking away. Yeah. <laughs> that's how they got that one. That's fact. Um, yeah. That's what yeah. happens. And so that, that escalates as well. Uh, but it's so funny because something that people talk about a lot is that there is this focus on family and like none of these people are ever getting hurt in cars, but they all really, really care about each other. And they're always about to die and rescuing each other. But meanwhile, like when, for example, they're driving a huge safe through Rio and it's like swinging around and hitting things, tons of other people have got to be dying, right? Like you're just like- yeah. no, Collateral damage, collateral no damage. No regard for human life outside of the family. The no. family is all important, but it's otherwise- It's the mafia. It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, Fiona, do you have any plot point suggestions of why people would be racing each other? Or I'm so curious to see how we're doing. We've gotten like three or four of them out of 10. Mm -hmm. We're doing pretty well. Well, I mean, my perspective is so different and I know so little about these kind of movies and I have avoided them without any difficulty for my entire life. But I'm trying to think of why people would race cars around really fast. Are they late for a daycare pickup? This is my life. (laughs) family oriented there is a really inexplicable sequence in which jason statham is saving a baby uh, from a bunch of bad guys on a plane and i'm gonna say that that's essentially what you're describing yeah same it's the same so now we're like four out of ten is there a nuclear bomb related one like racing to either put in a code or undo a code. I don't know who the bad guys are. I think, okay, so I haven't seen Fast 10, but I think that is what I've heard, if I'm remembering correctly, is that a big bomb rolls down the street past the Vatican and into the ocean. (laughs) Yeah, there's just, there's a lot going on, but people have asked me like, okay, so did you write about this because you think that the people in Fast and Furious are secretly trans? And 
some people do, but I'm like, no, there's just like hyper masculinity in a way that's so, so fascinating to me. Like trans people definitely don't exist in this world. Like queer people don't really exist any in this world. Although increasingly the villains are queer coded because classic, of course they are. Right, right. Um, but mostly I just think it's like so, so interesting the way the things that I've sort of learned about gender through Fast and Furious, because for example, like Paul Walker was in these movies famously, he died. And instead of killing him off in the films, they have him like CGI'd face driving away kind of into the sunset to be with his family. And Vin Diesel kind of like nods and is like, goodbye. And it's like very emotional if you are invested in that. Um, there's a real quote that I talk about constantly, could never stop, uh, about how Vin Diesel called that moment, quote, the greatest moment in cinematic history. Because he said that that was the first time ever that men around the world could cry together. And it's like, babe, you are sad because it is your best friend who has died. And you can cry and you you can just cry about it. And you don't have to say that it's the first time in human history that men have come together. You can just cry. And he's like, no, no, no. My lived experience is the only thing that's valuable for people having tears. And clearly he's no one's ever seen the movie Beaches because (laughs) that's when we're all allowed to cry together. Yeah, the champ. I mean, there's been tearjerkers before. My girl, my girl. I like whenever your team wins the big game, you know, like. (laughs) I like that he's just universalizing everything from his own experience. Exactly. My feeling, therefore, all feeling. I mean. And then another thing that's important to know that maybe you do know is that uh, the Vin Diesel in his contract was like, I my character is not allowed to lose a fight. But then The Rock came in in the fifth movie and was like, I don't want to lose a fight either. And then I don't know if it's in Jason Statham's contract or not, but there seems to be a, a similar energy. And so all of these fights have to just kind of end in draws because no one who is fighting each other is allowed to lose a fight. And so, for example, when Vin Diesel and Jason Statham are fighting at one point, actually multiple times this happens, Um their fights end with them just driving their cars as fast as they can at each other in a game of chicken, but neither of them chicken and they just smash into each other at high speeds. And then again, they just kind of get up and they're like, okay. And then they just kind of walk away into the distance. And I'm like, this is gender. (laughs) I feel like this kind of car crash, like a direct on collision is just like the equivalent of a male handshake. Is that what we're saying here? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, no, you can't show weakness by not crashing your car at full speed towards another person. The only it's, way to resolve this is to, you know, yeah, what? Smashy smash. I I, I feel smash. like the way you're describing them sounds like they are fan fiction. Like they are fan mm-hmm. fiction from the book, but it sounds like that's actually <laughs> the plot because it makes no sense that people are are going, I can't die, so I'll just roll 40 times down a cliff and like a car explode and then I walk away and you know maybe do that thing where you like dust your hands off or something right exactly that feels like a fan fiction thing from within the zine that's my my theory is that there's this scene at the beginning of five where they escape a scene by simply driving their car 
um, off a very, very high bridge into seemingly kind of shallow water and then just sort of swimming away. And it's from a distance that's like, you would for sure die. And my theory is they kind of do. And then everything after that is a dream sequence for the next several movies. As shown by, for example, in the next scene, they all drive from the United States to Rio de Janeiro. You can't right. Right. Of course do that. Just on the road that goes from <laughs> America to Rio. I drove to Hawaii last week. <laughs> it's so wild how immigrants are always dying in the Darien Gap. And you're just like, well, you should have driven with Vin Diesel. And he would have gotten you there safely. Real uh, fast. No, it's, it's so fast. It's good advice um, for us all. The thing I really love about it is it is so emblematic of what zines are. I feel very grateful like to have grown up in the zine generation where we were making all of these little bits. And it was just such a thing where you're like, this is for my group of people to share our thoughts mm-hmm. in between. Like you said, without an editor, without worrying about the consumption, because you weren't selling it. You were hopefully like Xeroxing at like your mom's office when nobody right. was looking or, you know, at the school or something. And you were just sharing it with your friends. So you got to write whatever you wanted. And that freedom was an unbelievable feeling. And I just love that zines. I keep seeing people still like posting more and more. I feel like zine culture is like popping back up in a way that makes me very heartened. For sure. And yeah, it's, there's a, there's a debate over whether it ended up being a zine because it was 160 pages, perfect bound uh, because it ended up being so big. But it was meant to be as a zine. So I was describing it as kind of a fun trans joke is a book of zine experience. Uh, But it's like, it is a zine energetically. It's just that it ended up being like too big. And then we got a real printer to print it. But very much what you're describing where it's like, this is just for us. Um, If anyone else finds it, that's fine. Uh, But I don't want it to ever get too big because I really need Universal Studios to not sue me we really didn't make very much money. I was expecting to lose money and then we had sold so well that we are kind of, you know, breaking a little bit even, but it's definitely not like something we were ever doing for like commercial success. And yeah, so we printed 2000 copies and they are already gone, which is unhinged. Um, And so there's a PDF available online. There's a few copies floating around and there's a few copies left at bookstores. And then we might do reprints eventually, but my thought is I would love to do reprints along with a second book in this series. And I am looking around for what is the next rich text to invite a bunch of queer people to write just sort of deranged shit about. Uh, so if you have any suggestions <laughs> at any point, um, I, I'm really open to them because I love to not ever take a single break. Uh, Yes, Eden. (laughs) Um, Thank you for calling on me. I have a secret and um, I don't even like to say it out loud, but I am obsessed with the National Treasure movies. I'm obsessed with the National Treasure movies. Like the, I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. I mean, that line that a writer had the audacity to write (laughs) that line, like, let's have Nicolas Cage just decide to steal. And it's heisty and it's a puzzle. It incorporates all the things I love. So there's a lot of vroom, vroom, but it's not vroom, vroom focused. It's also trying to, you know, talk about history. 
Yeah, no, I think also a rich text. And, you know, I'm glad that someone did have the audacity to write that line because it has stayed in the culture forever. We will never move past. I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. We won't. This is our moment. (laughs) I have to say, before we move away from zines, a plug out not only for libraries in general, but the Olympia Library has their massive zine library and it is online where you can see many of the words, some of the um, front covers, but it is such a joy to just try to look through what they have and what they kept. Yeah. Well, in Portland, Zine Symposium is this weekend, which I guess is, you know, probably in the past by the time anyone hears this, but just the fact that they're still in 2023 a huge zine symposium every year in all sorts of places, but Portland being one of them, you know, it's really flourishing. I have a whole collection, big, big collection of zines on my bookshelf. And you know, what's great about zines. They don't take up any space. You can have hundreds. They're like one shelf. (laughs) I mean, my favorite thing about the whole project is just you getting to do whatever the fuck you want. I like, Mm -hmm. I love that. You're like, Oh, and then we created this rule that we were only not going to include 10. And then we were like, fuck it, we will. Like, you mm-hmm. can just make all of the decisions all the time. At any moment, you can countermand yourself. And mm-hmm. you're completely in charge. That's so joyous. It's really nice. And, you know, we did, I tried to make it something I would be proud of because the thing that really scares me about print is that you can't go fix it later. You can't go mm. clean it up. Uh, you just got to get it right the first time. And so we went through a lot of rounds of edits and a lot of rounds of layouts. uh, And I also learned more things that that's one of the reasons why I want to put out more is I kind of learned some some uh, I learned a lot about how to put out a book because we, you know, have all put out a bunch of magazines, but we had a production department for that. And this was like, oh, I have to learn literally how to get someone to publish it. I have to learn how to make a back cover and how to make the spine. And then I had to make a barcode because it got too big. So then it's like, then I have to learn what an ISBN is. And everyone thinks they know what an ISBN is until you have really specific questions about the purpose of an ISBN. And then it turns out nobody knows. <laughs> so I had to like learn uh, a lot. <laughs> I have a couple of books published and I have no idea. I know what my number is. I mean, I right. could look it up, but like, I don't know. I feel like it's like a social security number for books. Is that totally? Exactly. What it was, my question was like, they're like, this is how the book connects to a database. And I'm like, but is my book going to be in the database? Do I have to put it there? Like, what is the purpose of and how do I connect my little number that I bought online to wherever it's, you know, so it's just this whole thing. And the, the answer is it's unclear, but you just got to buy the little number and put it on the back and then kind of like hope that that works. Uh, I so love yeah. I love when you dig deep into something and you realize nobody really ever nobody knew. knows. I and asked I people in publishing. I asked people who worked at bookstores. It's like it was just like nobody really knew. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Nobody knows. That's fine. But like I also yes, <laughs> I love also though that you are now sort of and it's a little bit true of so much that we do these days. It's like before we would have been recording like this in a radio studio, and some editor mm-hmm. would be editing, and somebody would be on production and we wouldn't have to worry about volume levels and they would also market it for us and they would like totally you have to do it all and wear all the hats which is what you're doing right now I mean you've done it with podcasting that's the thing is that it's yeah I'm just so used to doing that for my show and forgetting that other people have resources like every once in a while I get to go in and work on someone else's podcast and it really is wild so for example I've like done a couple of episodes of Life Kit on NPR 
and I just write the script and someone else takes all the tape and puts it together for me. And I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> what a beautiful <laughs> gift. Uh, and even now, like I do have a producer that's also an editor on my show. And that is also a beautiful gift. Uh, and I try to make them as happy as possible because even though I used to make the show by myself, I can't imagine ever doing it by myself again. So much work. How many um, years are we in to gender six. reveal? Six years. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, I congratulations. Remember, yeah, congratulations. It's so it's been so exciting to watch it. I remember when we were all working together and yeah. you went to your first podcast conference and, and we're that's like that's where it was invented. That yeah. was it. <sighs> Having I... a bad time at a conference. Sometimes it gets you a long-term job. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I'm so used to already with the podcast, like wearing all the hats and doing all the promotion and not having uh, the infrastructure for people to help me get things out into the world. But that also means, like I said, that I am in editorial control of everything, which is nice. And, and it to... means that you're completely burnt out all the time. Yeah, which is, I love. But the thing is, the second that I stop overworking and I'm like, OK, time to vibe, my brain just starts screaming at me. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to chill out anyway. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, I make, this well, is what like, I... <laughs> make a fun thing. This is what I keep telling Eden, because there's always a horizon that we're just trying to get to where we're like, yeah. you know what, when we get to here, this moment, then we're going to take chill. a nap. Yeah, I'll yeah. take a nap. And we're never, ever, ever chill. Uh, can I ask you, a, this is not a behind the story story we discussed. So you can also not, you can, you can opt to not talk about it. But I have always wanted to know more in depth. A famous tech journalism moment was uh, the hey, hey, hello, kicking away a can of tear gas. Oh, <laughs> I would yeah. love to know uh, this. I, I, I just know the hey, hey, hello, which I think of, you know, Parker Posey from from Party Girl uh, saying, hey, hey, hello. And then uh, instead I picture you kicking away a can of tear gas. Yeah, no, literally what happened is that I was doing protest reporting in 2020 famously, and I was on, I'll tell you, the cross straight MLK and Killingsworth, and the, some dumbass started a fire that by fire, I mean, you know, like, I can't emphasize enough how small and contained this, like, little flame was. And then everyone else was like, no, we're not starting a fire. And they all went to kind of put the fire out. And then uh, the action of starting a fire and then all putting it out upset uh, the police. And so they decided to tear gas everyone out of the area. And I was filming, do, do, do. And a tear gas canister rolled towards me. And apparently, because it was caught on my own tape, as I was trying to like kind of get away from this uh, tear gas canister, I just went like, oh, hello, hello to the tear gas. And it kind of became an iconic moment in history for people who were following me on Twitter in 2020. And I hadn't thought about it in years. So thank you for reminding me. But yeah, I really just wasn't thinking I'm just a big dumbass. And that was my natural response when the tear gas rolled towards my feet was <laughs> to like, greet it. <laughs> I'm just so, so impressed with your manners. <laughs> um, oh, someone has walked into the chat. It's polite to say hello, uh, acknowledging you. And um, it's I just... wild. 
I don't know if I ever said the name of the book. So I'm just going to say it once. you need to. It's uh, Two Trans, Two Furious, An Extremely Serious Guide to Transgender Street Racing Studies. Um, and yeah, you can sort of get it if you go to, I think it's tuckwitstock.com slash two hyphen trans hyphen two hyphen furious with the twos. Um, there's kind of a list of places that you can still get it because it is a hot commodity, uh, bizarrely yeah, enough. It's, it's entered <laughs> into the literary canon as far as I can tell. So we got know. it into one library. So that was really important. Oh, wow. Yay, libraries. <laughs> library of Congress. That's yeah, that, and that was so, the one library. So um, people can still potentially, if not get a copy of it, I bet they can support you if even if they can't find a, a copy, right? They can get it. Yeah, they can get a PDF of it. They can f- order it from, there's a list on that page because a bunch of local bookstores still have copies. Pals might be out by now. Um, but there are other bookstores that have copies that we like ha- that you can buy online. So you can order from like Minneapolis's local bookstore. Um, so those exist for now. I do also low key have like a few copies left if anyone's really dying for one. Um, and otherwise, yeah, we'll just have to wait for the future. But I think it's worth a copy just for the front and back cover alone. Cause the front cover, my friend Maddie drew Vin Diesel anamorphing into a car. And um, the back cover. It's pretty has... good. I've seen it. I've seen it too. It is very good. I would say Smithsonian. That's yeah. just my first thought. And then beautifully, <laughs> the back cover has one of the best blurbs of all time, which is Sabrina Imbler um, wrote one that's like mostly in emojis. And um, people can also support you and listen to the podcast, right? I mean, yeah, genderpodcast.com, baby. We try to have fun. I feel like uh, Two Trans Two Furious is kind of. A representation of what I am trying to do all the time, which is like have fun, uh, have a make a trance thing that's like we're having a good time because uh, to, not to be serious for a moment, but I think that the the a lot of media outlets are like so invested in portraying trans people as uh, very sad and very confused yeah. and like very only about transness and just like a lot of darkness and trans people are experiencing a lot of darkness right now and increasingly. I feel like my job is like, and now we're going to have a little fun, you know? <laughs> so. which is incredibly important. Like we, uh, people need to have a good time. And I think that um, it's easy when the world feels dark to think, oh, is it appropriate to bring lightness to the right. world? And my thought is always, yes, is people desperately need lightness in their life in some way. Yeah, it really felt like such a treat. Like when we were editing the book, Nico was my co-editor was really, really going through it. I was also going through it. And like it was like a truly special joy every day to like work on this book and be like, well, we're in control here and we're having a fun time and nobody can stop us from like doing our little bits. And unfortunately, that's really important right now. I wish it wasn't. I wish everything was more normal. (laughs) and It wasn't like a radical act to like have a nice time, but it is so we did it and it was great <laughs> what do you think Yay. the odds are that Dwayne the Rock Johnson has read <laughs> low hopefully because <laughs> there is you know uh, uh I mean it's just there is sort of like a non-zero level of like gay erotica in the book and I don't think that they would like love it necessarily so i'm we don't to know though we, we don't, don't know, know that <laughs> we don't know we don't know that maybe they we don't would know. i think you know i think i think they should read it yeah but bring an open mind i agree bring an open mind bring an open mind um 
Tess, we're so so fun. I know. We miss you. We're here trying to hold the city from crumbling around. I really appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's really wild having left Portland to learn sort of the cultural concept of Portland outside, which is, Mm -hmm. oh, isn't it all on fire? (laughs) Guess what? It's not. Okay. You gotta go. You gotta go. I gotta go. Yeah. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye.